When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Larry, Larry, Larry. Oh, the Trailblazers coming off their biggest win of the season. You know we are going to dive into that. Plus, Neil Olshay, the latest on the investigation. I'm excited to hear what Jared has to say on this. A deep dive into that topic, folks. Let's talk about the Trailblazers. Let's start this show. I am so excited. Here we go. Oh yeah, what is good everyone? Welcome to KGW's 3 on 3 Blazers. My name is Orlando, joined as always by Jared Cowley. Jared, it is so good to be back as we do this thing via the KGW studios in downtown Portland, Oregon. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back. We uh, did not record last week. We just got caught up with too much other stuff going on at work and weren't able to record and I've missed being able to talk blazers with you i'm glad to be able to get into all this mess with neil o'shea and then also talk about kind of where the blazers stand right now this is a very very up and down blazers team and and see how we feel take our temperature with the blazers right now we are riding quite the wave here where the mood changes significantly week to week depending on whether the blazers are at home or they're away uh we've seen you know two different teams so far and now we're at a point where we saw the good side yeah for me personally the mood is kind of set at constant negativity constant <laughs> you know if you take my temperature with the blazers right now it's ice cold it doesn't matter everything that's going on around the team everything that we've gone through since the end of last season i'm still not over that so i am I am really fed up with all of this right now. I'm not happy with the Blazers, and so I really want to see things with the Blazers resolve themselves, some some things that need to happen so that I can get back to just enjoying what's happening on the court, analyzing, you know, where this team is and where they need to improve. And I just I can't be there because there's so much chaos and there's so much ridiculous stuff that's going on with this franchise right now that it's hard for me to see anything but that fair enough and we're going to get into that on the court back-to-back wins arguably their best win of the season they rallied from 20 down to beat Chicago at home the crowd at the Moda Center alive chanting Larry Nance's name after a big-time performance there the team is eight and eight now they're in a better position than they were when we last spoke. True, true. Um, but there is this dark cloud that has been over this team, specifically if you are from the Portland area, if you are a Trailblazers fan, 
who has been following this team closely through the offseason, the uncertainty of Damian Lillard's long-term future here, and now uh, general manager Neil Olshay being under investigation for workplace misconduct, um, you know, allegedly creating a, a toxic work environment, bullying, intimidation, uh, just a real bummer uh, for this entire franchise, for the fan base, to have this hanging over their heads. And Jared, you've been a longtime fan of this team. You, you know, wear their success and failures on your sleeve. It's been a, an emotional time for you as a Trailblazers fan where you've kind of tried to separate some things from what is happening on the court. And when they're not playing well, it all bleeds together. And it kind of adds to the darkness that's been around um, for a lot of fans. Uh, if you're into Blazers Twitter, I mean, if, if you're following along with some of the diehards there, like you've heard it. Um, I mean, there's been a large distaste, I think, for a lot of Trailblazers fans about Neil Wilshay. Um, I think most of it really has to do with um, how he's handled the last year or so. Um, not just the, the management of the roster, the players that he's gone out and gotten versus not being willing to trade to make the big moves. Like, I think a lot of it comes from that. But when you add this investigation into it, um, it becomes a lot more serious because these are people that are alleging, you know, having to go to work um, in a situation like that, that that people shouldn't have to, to deal with. That shouldn't be what you sign up for is to deal with someone um, who is your boss that I think for so many of these people that work for NBA teams, this was a dream of theirs. Yeah. You know, they said, man, I, I really one day want to work in the NBA. I want to work for this team. And so I can understand from that standpoint of I'm willing to put up with a lot of this because this is ultimately where, what I wanted to do. And so if the reports are true that this has gone on for, you know, years and, you know, Olshay has been a part of this organization for basically a decade, um, it's such a bummer to, to hear the reports like that. Uh, and so the investigation has gone on now for a few weeks, and that's where I want to bring you in, Jared, because, look, no nothing has been decided yet. Neil Olshay is the general manager of the Portland Trailblazers right now, and it's pretty serious. Uh, but I want to get your your take on, on all of this, um, on the investigation, what it's meant to you as a Trailblazers fan, because, you know, I think sometimes it'd be tongue-in-cheek, but I think there there is some legitimacy behind it in terms of your fandom and your loyalty to this organization. So I think it's only best to, to have somebody like you, Jared. I think you're in the perfect position to speak on this and really dive in to this topic. Yeah, over the past, I guess it's been um, you know half a year or so since the, the season ended, last season ended, 
it seems to me that everything, you know, as a fan, everything Neil O'Shea has done has cast a very dark cloud over this franchise and anything else that this franchise is trying to accomplish. And I don't think, I mean, I'm sure that there are some fans out there who are on Neil O'Shea's side. I, I'm sure that those fans exist. And, you know, you see a lot of anger on Twitter about Neil O'Shea. And listen, Twitter is its own world. And what you see on Twitter is not necessarily reflective of, for example, how the entire fan base feels. But I don't think it's a stretch to say that the major- majority of Blazers fans are fed up with Neil O'Shea. And and the thing is, like, the we don't know anything about the results of this investigation right now. So we're not going to go into that because we'd just be speculating. But what fans and, and I'll say media have experienced with Neil O'Shea over the past 10 years, we've felt this. This hostile, toxic workplace environment that they are investigating, we have felt that as fans. We've felt that as media. Just watching you know, the few public appearances that Neil O'Shea does make when he speaks to the media, and fans tune into those, and they watch them. And if you've be- ever been in an experience where somebody who is in a position of authority over you or somebody who they don't even have to be in a position of authority over you but someone belittles you makes you feel small makes you feel stupid that's what Neil O'Shea over during his tenure has done you know to the media but also to the fans anyone who questions how he builds the roster anyone who questions decisions that he makes as the president of basketball operations he shuts that down in a way that's not just, I'm going to explain to you why I made these decisions and why I think this is the best way forward for the Blazers. He's, he does it in a way that is condescending, that speaks down to the fans, speaks down to the media, and every fan has felt that. And the thing about Portland Trailblazers fans, and you've heard this a lot, is Portland has some of the most intelligent, most informed fans in the NBA. And for Neil O'Shea to consistently put them down and speak down to them and speak to them in a condescending way through these, you know, availability sessions he has with the media, I think that's why Blazers fans are so fed up with Neil O'Shea. I think that there's a lot there also about the moves he has made, the moves he hasn't made, the way he's built this roster, the way he's been unable to build a consistent contender or even ever a contender around one of the best players in the world, Damian Lillard. Blazers fans are fed up with that too. But I think that the bigger thing for me, in my opinion, for why Blazers fans are done with Neil O'Shea is because of the way he treats fans, because of the way he treats the media. And now, pending the results of this this investigation, also the way he treats the people he works with. And I don't know if being a jerk as a manager is, you know, a fireable offense, especially if the Blazers ownership group is trying to fire him with cause, trying to void his contract. And I don't care about any of that. I'm not rooting for a billionaire in Jody Allen to save millions by voiding Olshay's contract. What I want to see is a fresh start. I don't want Neil O'Shea to be part of this organization anymore. 
I want someone who's going to come in and be able to look at this roster with a fresh set of eyes without the biases and that Neil O'Shea has about the players he's drafted and the players he's signed and make changes that are necessary to allow this team to take the, the next step forward. And I want a general manager or a president of basketball operations in place who treats the fans and treats the media and treats human beings with a level of respect that you just, you should demand from any other human being. And Neil O'Shea doesn't do that. And so I'm fed up with it. I think the majority of fans are fed up with it. And it absolutely 100% does impact the way I view this team. You know, that game against the Bulls was an incredible game. The first half was terrible. And I was, this is one of the few games I was able to watch live this season. And I was, during the game, during the first half, typing out angry, mean tweets about <laughs> the Blazers and then deleting it, not sending it, because I don't like to, you know, be overly negative, especially on social media. But then that second half, man, that was fun. Mm-hmm. It was, it, I have no problem with, with the players on this roster. You know, the Blazers, and one way I will credit Neil O'Shea is he has brought in high-character players. Like he's made that a focus for the Blazers, and I appreciate that because these guys are fun to root for as human beings, and they're fun to root for on the court. Um, but no matter what the Blazers do on the court right now, I can't get past this, It to me, what seems like an incredibly dark shadow that is 95% created in my mind by Neil O'Shea. It it just poisons everything else for me as a Blazers fan. And I've been a Blazers fan all of my life. You know, I'm more than 40 years as a Blazers fan. Um, and what is going on with this franchise has me questioning legitimately whether I want to continue to be a fan of this team. And if Neil O'Shea remains as the president of basketball operations after this investigation concludes, I don't know if I'll be able to continue to be a fan because he goes against everything I believe in as a human being about how humans should treat other humans. And I, I, I'm done with it. I'm, I'm fed up with it. And so that's how I feel about it personally. Again, the investigation, we don't know the results of it, but I think that beyond the investigation, beyond the manner in which Neil O'Shea treats people, I think there's enough, more than enough reason just looking at his performance as the president of basketball, oper- basketball operations to move on from him. Um, and I'm happy to get into that, but I wanted, you know, I've been speaking for a long time. I need uh, a little break, so I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that's perfect. Um, and I, why I thought you were so, this was so appropriate for you to really take this because this impacts you different um, than it does me from a fan standpoint, from someone who genuinely loves this team. Um, For me, this is a team that I cover, right? This is what I do for work. Um, It makes my job better when they're good. um, When we're not talking about off the court stuff, right? So in in that regard, um, I feel you, you know, because uh, it makes it just more fun. 
Um, but, you know, that's when I think about these investigations, I ultimately go to uh, the people that have been impacted. Right. And I think that's why I went off the top of, the, of, of this podcast with that angle and just thinking to the amount of people that came forward um, and how much guts that must have taken that, you know, we're feeling that way either, you know, have, have moved on from the organization or no longer part of it and probably have that freedom to do so. Um, but I know for, for folks that are part of the organization right now, and maybe were um, asked questions about Olshay and they're thinking, well, man, how, how is this going to come back to me? Right. If I say something, um, and, and also on the same regard, like there, there could be a lot of people that Olshay works with that love Olshay. Right. That are like, nah, man, like this can't be true. I've never felt this way. This has never happened to me. So I can definitely see the intricacies of an investigation like this, but that's where my mind immediately goes is just to those workers that felt that way where they're in a situation where they feel like they can't work. They've got this cloud over them where, you know, just based on some of the reports that we've read, um, I think uh, Jason Quicks in The Athletic was, was really uh, was really good in that regard that, you know, some people just knew if he's having a bad day, you stay away. Right. And, you know, you just kind of knew when to go around, go, come around him. And uh, I don't know if that's necessarily – good uh for a team environment where you're trying to you know get the best out of everyone i mean that goes for any job yeah. you know, if you're working at mcdonald's if you're working <laughs> at kgw like doesn't matter doesn't matter man um if you want to see people shine and and and, and be their best i can't imagine that feeling that way on a regular basis is good for for your health so um that's that's where my mind immediately goes in terms of you know public opinion how people feel about Olshay as a GM I think that's a that's a, a separate argument that you're going to get into um, because there is a, a a track record there there are certain things that Olshay does well and there are certain things that Olshay doesn't do well and that has shaped people's opinions about him as a general manager and there's enough of a track record over the past decade to determine you know how you feel about him so, Jared, I want to get your thoughts on on Olshay and really what the heart of this podcast is is about. And a bit of a disclaimer, folks, as as we've dived in, we're now 18 minutes into the <laughs> podcast. But I'd say we we got another 10 minutes of this. But I promise you, we are going to talk hoop. We're going to get into ball and the awesome win that they had over the Bulls um, here and, and moving forward in predictions and all of that good stuff. But I say all that. Uh, Jared, to, to put you back in the pocket here and ask you about the job that Olshay has done. Yeah. I mean, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to make the case against Neil Olshay just as based on his job performance. Again, who knows what we're going to find out about this investigation, but based on his job performance, I think that you can very easily make a case against Neil Olshay. And I agree with you. There are things that he does well. And I think that the things that he does well are the little things around the margins, mm -hmm. making small signings, you know, drafting well late in the first round, drafting well in the second round. But the reason I think 
the case against Neil O'Shea is easy to make is, one, you look at the results. The Blazers made it to the Western Conference Finals a couple seasons ago. Other than that, they've mostly been a first-round-and-out team. A couple appearances in the second round. And that's despite having one of the best players in the NBA. And so I think that's case number one. But then I also think that Neil O'Shea has consistently, repeatedly whiffed in the big moments. Mm. The moments where he has had the opportunity to make big moves that would impact this team going forward and put the kind of talent around Damian Lillard that, you know, Damian Lillard on his own, he's good enough to get you to the playoffs. Mm -hmm. The reason the Blazers have made the playoffs eight or nine or however many seasons in a row it is, is because of Damian Lillard. It's not because of Neil O'Shea. Damian Lillard on his own, he's 48 or 50 wins. You're into the playoffs. But you need to build a more talented team around him if the Blazers really want to compete for a championship. And Neil O'Shea has failed to do that. So I'm just going to walk through it. These big moments that he's had where he has dropped the ball. 2016 free agency. I don't think a lot of the stuff I'm going to be going through here will be any kind of surprise to, you know, Blazers fans who have paid attention. But I think that laying it out is going to make it obvious to me and hopefully to others that Neil Shea should not be the president of basketball, basketball operations for this team anymore. So in 2016, instead of spending nearly $250 million on Alan Crabb, Evan Turner, Myers Leonard, Festus Azili, <laughs> and Mo Harkless, Neil Shea could have done this. Let's not also forget before we get into that, the player that Olshay targeted, their number one target who didn't end up signing with the Blazers. It was Chandler Parsons. The Blazers offered him, you know, the minute free agency started, four years and $95 million. He went on to average seven points in 95 games with the Grizzlies over the next three seasons. That would have been a disastrous signing by Neil Olshay, and Parsons saved Olshay from himself on that one. But what could have Olshay have done instead of making those signings? First of all, the season before, the offseason before, he could have decided to not trade Nick Batum. If you remember, Olshay traded Batum to the Hornets for Noah Vonley and Gerald Anderson. The next offseason, Batum re-signed with Charlotte for five years and $120 million, And that was a big contract. And there were times during that contract where people talked about it being this kind of albatross 2016 contract that, that Batum you know, was signed for too much. But that would have been money much better spent than the combined $145 million that Olshay spent on Crabb and Turner. Remember, Batum was only 26 years old when Olshay traded him. He was a 3 and D wing. He can thrive as a point-of-attack defender. What have the Blazers missed for the past six seasons? A 3 and D wing who can guard at the point of attack. That's what Nick Batum is. That's what he has been his entire career. During that five-year contract, in 308 games of Charlotte, Batum averaged 12 points, six rebounds, five assists, and played great defense. In the past two seasons, he's played well for the Clippers. So Olshay could have just recognized the value that Nick Batum had for this team and kept him and re-signed him instead. That would have been a better use of that money than what he spent it on. Let's say that that didn't happen if he hadn't re-signed Batum. There were smarter signings that he could have made in 2016 than he did. Look at Al Horford. He left the Hawks that offseason and signed with the Celtics for four years, $113 million. Big contract. But the Blazers could have gone after him. Maybe he wouldn't have chosen the Blazers. 
but I don't think Olshay even tried. You know, Al Horford wasn't on his list. Um, lesser signings, Jeff Green signed with the Magic for one year and $15 million. Solid 3-and-2 wing. Jared Dudley signed with the Suns for three years, $30 million. Another solid wing who could have provided depth. Eric Gordon signed with the Rockets for four years and $53 million. Any of those signings would have been better than all of the signings that Olshay made except for maybe Mo Harkless. You know, or Olshay could have noticed that the free agency landscape that offseason was a disaster. Everybody had cap space. And so there were a ton of terrible contracts that were handed out, including by Olshay. Instead, he could have made small one-year signings, sat that offseason out, and carried that cap space over to the summer of 2017. There were good players in free agency in 2017, and there were far fewer teams with cap space. But he didn't do that. He went out and made a ton of bad signings. And the one year in the Damian Lillard era where he had a ton of money to spend and he whiffed on just about every single one of the signings. Let's look at the draft. Like I said, he's been pretty good with second-round picks. He's been pretty good with late first-round picks. Getting a Sarah Little, Anthony Simons in the early to mid-20s, that's not bad. Getting Gary Trent Jr. in the second round, that's a steal. But when he's had big moments, when he's had big opportunities, he has repeatedly whiffed. 2012, he drafted Dame with the sixth pick. That's awesome. Amazing pick. But was it really his? You know, he came in months before the draft started. There's been a lot of reporting that that draft pick was already in place before Olshay came in. To Olshay's credit, he didn't change that. Mm-hmm. He went ahead and made that pick. But I don't think you can completely put that in his column. 2013, he had the number 10 pick. Great opportunity to, to, to draft an impact player, and he did. C.J. McCollum is a great player. You know, he, dra- he made a great pick, but he also left Giannis on the board. Mm-hmm. Giannis was drafted with the 15th pick, and Olshay had the chance to draft him, and he didn't. The big one we all know, 2017. Portland had three first-round picks, 15, 20, and 26. And Olshay traded all three to move up to 10 and draft Zach Collins. Left on the draft board at that time, Stars and superstars like Donovan Mitchell, who, who went 13. Bam Adebayo, who went 14. John Collins, who went 19. Jarrett Allen, who went 22. OG Ananobi, who went 23. All those players were available. And Olshay drafted Collins. And listen, Collins had a lot of injury concerns. That wasn't his fault. But even when Collins played, even though we saw signs of him being an impact player, I don't think we ever saw signs of him being a superstar or a star player like the other players I just mentioned. So Olshay whiffed on all of those. I mean, Portland didn't have to hit on all of those picks. But to come away with Collins when that much star talent was left on the board, and Olshay and the Blazers, they worked out a bunch of those guys, too, prior to the draft. Mm-hmm. They saw them in person in Portland. Yeah, we talked to John Collins. Yeah. He was here Yeah, in Tualatin. It's just Olshay has had the chance to draft the following players. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo, John Collins, Jared Allen. OG Ananobi, and he didn't have to hit on all of them. But the fact that he didn't hit on a single one of them, he whiffed. He whiffed on that, that opportunity. Yeah, because he, he wrapped up the first round with Caleb Swanigan. Yeah, yeah. don't remind me. Yep. Let's look at trades real quick, and I'm just about done here. But Paul George was traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder in 2017 for Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis. That was a really good trade. Mm-hmm. But Olshay did try to trade for Paul George. We know from a lot of reporting that he offered all three of those first-rounders from that draft, plus any player who wasn't Dame, CJ, or Nurk. 
The only untouchable in that scenario, though, for a superstar like Paul George, who would have been a great fit next to Damian Lillard, should have been Damian Lillard. Mm -hmm. CJ McCollum should have been available in that trade. Yusuf Nurkic should have been available in that trade. Would it have happened? I don't know. But you put those two guys in there when they're, you know, CJ was younger at that time. He was on a smaller contract. Like, he had a lot more trade value then than he does now. Maybe it would have happened, but Olshay whiffed. You know, other super, superstars have been traded the past few, few seasons, like James Harden and Kawhi Leonard. Maybe Olshay could have made one of those trades happen if he had been willing to include CJ. And in the case of James Harden, mm -hmm. CJ and every draft pick you have. But he was never willing to go that far. He whiffed. This past summer, we saw a lot of reports that teams were inquiring about CJ McCollum and offering chan a chance to Portland to get into the top part of this draft. Mm hmm and some reports said that they were offered the fourth pick in the draft. Now, draft picks, that's not what Dame needs. The Blazers are going after a championship. Sure, I get that argument. But what if the Blazers had made that trade? What if they had got the fourth pick and drafted Evan Mobley? Evan Mobley is a stud. Mm -hmm. He's exactly what this team needs. Olshay whiffed. It's just a pattern of in the biggest moments when he's had the opportunity to really take this team to the next level Time after time after time after time, he has failed. And that's why he shouldn't be the GM of this team anymore. Everything else is just, you just add it to it. The way he treats the fans, the way he treats the media, the way he reportedly treats the people he works with. And if you see what he does in these press conferences and the way he talks to the media and indirectly the fans, you have to imagine what it's like behind closed doors and how much worse it might be. But you don't need even that because just by his job performance, he should not be in charge of this, this roster anymore. I can feel your blood boiling, man. <laughs> and, you know, for a lot of, of Blazers fans, this is the rabbit hole uh, that really gets people triggered. And even for someone like myself, like, you can make the case, you know, when we started this podcast a few years ago, the summer of 2016 came up in almost every single podcast yeah. somehow yeah that was a that was a thing but for me I think the the move that has aged the worst for me has been the draft yep and so whenever I think back to what Olshay has done wrong I look at that draft that draft could have changed everything about this team and he just needed to hit once yep and you had three opportunities there and uh, you, you came away with nothing. I mean, none of those guys are a part of this team anymore. No. So when I'm, when I'm ranking what he should have done, you know, in hinds the, the, the hindsight bowl, um, for me, it's, it's that draft, man. I mean, that just – that stings multiple times. I, you, you, over, you, you overcome LaMarcus leaving. Right. You, you overcome – uh, summer of 2016, you get to the Western Conference Finals, um, but then after that, it's just been, it's been tough. And and I think we even gave credit to Olshay on trying to get Paul George. Yeah. Because we were all in agreement, like, man, if you can do this, you got to go get him. Like this, this is a dude that, and this was at a time when the Paul George stock was down. You know, especially here in Portland, um, during the playoff run, I believe it was. When Dame hit the shot, well, that was before. Was, that, was it before? Yeah. So 
Because Dame hit the shot against OKC. Okay. And Paul George. And this had was, already come. This to happened, yeah. You know, Paul George was traded to the Thunder. Gotcha. So it was like the offseason before that. I, I, I recall, you know, so much of the talk around here surrounding Paul George to be just down on him. Like, weren't big, big supporters of, of Paul George. And I know within um, our podcast, it was, dude, go get him. Yeah. Like, do what you need to do to, yeah. to get him. And he didn't. No. That's a thing. And there was the big eyebrow raise when, you know, reports had come out that uh, James Harden's, you know, final three or final yeah. five, whatever it was. And the fact that Portland came up, which is so rare for us to hear that from yes. a free agent and not only a free agent, but someone of his status. Like you're talking about a top five, top 10 yep. NBA player that is considering coming to Portland, tr just trying to get the heck out of his situation. Then again, you're saying, do whatever you can, get him. Now the reports with that are that Olshay did include CJ. Mm -hmm. But I think that in that case, when you're talking about a player like James Harden, Olshay probably had to include CJ and like, every draft pick he had. Mm -hmm. And he didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just, that's what it comes down to. Every time he's had a big opportunity, he has swung and missed yeah. every single time. Or never really went to the plate. Yeah. You know. Which and, is inexcusable. And I think it would have been a lot more forgivable, not obviously the investigation, yeah. but the basketball stuff, that if Olshay went out and said, dude, I I gave away CJ and every draft pick we have for the next five, ten years, whatever, right? And Paul George comes here and it just tanks. Yeah. Doesn't work out. We'd be thinking, man, he went for it. Like at least he tried. Yeah, I'm not even mad about it. Yep. That's that's the state of Portland Trailblazers fandom right now. It's not even the, you know, Lakers fans or Warriors fans who when you go big, you expect it to work out. Right. Like if we're making a move, we're going to be back in the championship discussion. We're not even at that point. For Blazers fans, it's let's just see something happen. Like we we know what this gets you. Gets you, you know, eight consecutive trips to the first round of the playoffs. Right. You know, like that's what it gets you. That was cool. Yeah, five years ago. Yeah, that was cool. But now, uh, you know, the standard has to change. Expectations have to change. We've heard the lip service multiple off seasons already about what what the goal is here and those are the moves that make you a championship team even for the milwaukee bucks like you had to draft Giannis 15th you know 14 other teams didn't go with Giannis. Yep. if those 14 teams could have, have a do-over i think i know what they go with <laughs> you know what i'm saying like that's that's where we're at and if you never swing for the fences and you strike we're so well, worried not, about striking out. Not just that with the Bucks, but then they went. They had the superstar in place, like the Blazers. Right. Did, and they went and they traded what three or four first-round mm -hmm. picks plus whatever else they had to include to get Drew Holiday, and Giannis last off se or last season in the playoffs. If Drew Holiday is not alongside him, maybe he doesn't win the championship. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the Bucks flame out again like they had in years past, but. The front office for the Bucks, they understood that they had to go all in because they had a superstar on their roster. And that's where I feel like Neil O'Shea, I don't know why he believes that this is a championship roster. His comment that he made this offseason, that it wasn't the roster's fault. The roster wasn't to blame. Yes, it was. 
you are to blame, Neil O'Shea. You are the one who built the roster, and the roster is not good enough, and it hasn't been good enough for years. So I'm done. I'm fed up with it. I'm, I'm done. How do you think this ends? I don't know. It's tough because you've heard it from Jason Quick. You've heard it from you know, Mike Richmond on Locked on Blazers. You've heard it from uh, others, I'm sure, who say the longer this goes on, the more it feels like Neil Shea is going to survive this thing. You know, Jason Quick went on Locked on Blazers with, with Mike this morning, or I guess they probably talked yesterday. And he said that, why would you start this investigation, interview 60 people in the, you know, the first couple of days, and then have to expand the investigation. If you had found what you needed to fire Neil O'Shea with cause, which is, I think, what they're attempting to do, you wouldn't have had to expand the investigation. So we're two weeks into this thing now. Mm -hmm. And it does feel like the longer this goes on, the more likely Neil O'Shea is to to make it through this and, and, and stay on in, in his role. And if that's the case, and I... I just wonder, I mean, th there are some Blazers fans who are going to, you know, stick with this team no matter what. But I, I do feel like there are a lot. I mean, I have, I know a lot of people who have given up their season tickets who are refused to spend a single penny on anything with the Blazers because of this. And until that changes, I think you are going to lose a significant portion of the fan base. And I, I, I hope that the Blazers ownership group, which has their own problems, and I'm not on their side at all because there are many issues there as well. I hope that they understand that, that like this feels like the jail Blazers era when so many of the fans tuned the team out because they were just tired of it, that the Blazers were forced to make a change. And I don't know if the ownership group understands that that kind of where, where we are at right now, but that's what it feels like. It, um, so, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I I I guess if I had to make a bet on it, I would I would bet that Neil O'Shea survives this and, and stays on in, in the role he's in. Which, that in and itself is super interesting because you've, you've heard it that, you know, most GMs that are in this position don't really survive it. Right. So that in itself would be different. And I'm with you in terms of the longer this goes, it probably feels like, you know, the investigation has, they've talked to even more people and there just isn't enough there. Um, either way, wherever this goes, I do think that ownership needs to say something. And I think that they do – we've never heard from Jody. Yeah. And whatever this decision is, whether Olshea is in or out, I think that they need to come forward and face the music and talk about why. I agree. How they got here, what the investigation was about. I don't think it makes a lot of sense to hear from Olshea. No. We need to hear from ownership on this. And so that's the one big thing that I'll be looking forward to um, regardless of the outcome of this investigation. Yeah, I think Blazers fans deserve some transparency. Mm -hmm. 
and they haven't gotten it from this franchise for years. But if you're going to try and rebuild this fractured relationship that a lot of fans have with the Blazers franchise right now, then that would go a long way. A little bit of honesty, a little bit of humility, and a lot of transparency. There's, as you mentioned, a lot of Blazers fans out there that are feeling the same way you are. Yeah. And so if that is the choice that they make, that they say, hey, we went through this investigation. This is what happened. Here's how we got to our decision. I think that is going to help in repairing that relationship one way or the other. I mean, ultimately, I know a lot of people are not going to be happy, you know, with the outcome if Olshay stays. Yeah. Um, but if he does stay, fan, the fans here in Portland deserve to know why and not just read it on a press release. Right. On a Friday evening. Right. No, I'm not holding my breath, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, if you have been riding with us on this podcast. <laughs> what are we, how far into the podcast? We are 40 are minutes in. <laughs> this is a safe space. And uh, Jared has just let it rip, which was, I think, an important uh, – this was an important podcast uh, that was long overdue. And so I'm glad that, you know – we were able to have it, and I, I just thought you were the perfect person to talk about this discussion, this topic at length, something we really haven't done. But there's still hoop to talk about. And so let's dive, let's dive in, Jared, because I do want to spend the next 20 minutes or so talking ball. And, uh, I do too. I do too. And so, you know, especially I think it would be easier to just make this entire pod about Olshay and where where the the state of the organization, um, but they are coming off of a heck of a win. And we are a, almost a quarter of the way into this NBA season, mm-hmm. and we can't ignore that this season is happening right now. Mm-hmm. There are interesting developments with this team right mm-hmm. now, and we should talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole Shea thing. We've talked about it. We covered it, and we should cover it. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we did. But yeah, let's talk about let's talk about this team. Let's talk about basketball. So eight and eight. You know, doesn't you know, mediocre? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like you're not going to set the world on fire nope. at eight and eight. Uh, but for long stretches of this season, this team has just been so boring. Yeah, it's been a chore to watch this team. Um, you know, and there's the whole root thing where, like, if you do, <laughs> yeah, you even get that? Are, are you even team. able to watch them? Right. Uh, but there's that, and and I just think the last couple of games. We've seen some stuff that we really haven't seen before they from were, this team. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. That that's the where I'm going with this. And especially in that Chicago game where they could have just rolled over, man. And it had that vibe in the first half. Yeah. Where I said, Oh man, they're just gonna mail it in. Let's get ready for the next one. You know, let's rest Dame, give him some more time off, <laughs> you know, let him get right, take the L. And uh, they they put up a fight, and it wasn't like this, it wasn't this NBA like run where it's like, oh, the Blazers going on a 15-0 run, backing it down right. five. Like this was a gradual chip away, yep. like uh, different guys coming in, making their mark, having an impact on the game, and uh, that's been really cool to watch. Um, but you saw it all kind of come together at home. <laughs> It'd be nice to see this on the road, but. Yeah. Uh, to be able to do that at home, I think, just reinvigorated the fan base 
that was <laughs> has been searching for something to talk about, to really get excited about. And, you know, hearing uh, Larry Nance's name uh, chanted uh, at the Moda Center is another one of those cool moments yeah. um, that you check off the, the, the boxes of memorable times during the season. And I think that will be one that ages well um, on this season where you say, oh, that was, that was a moment. I know where I was when for the Larry Nance game, so to speak. And I love that you call it the Larry Nance game because it also kind of, I mean, who knows where, where Nance is going to go from here, but mm-hmm. we finally see from Larry Nance kind of what we expected when the Blazers traded for him and the, the impact he was going to have on this team. And we've really seen it, and we saw it, I think, at its peak in that Chicago game because when he came in midway through the third quarter, the Blazers were still toast. Mm-hmm. Things weren't looking good, and he came in, and everything changed immediately. I mean, the way he impacted the game was everything we expected from Larry Nance. And, you know, the the way he the way he hustles, the way he plays defense, the way he, you know, is a leader on the court, like barking out commands, holding players, account, you know, teammates mm. accountable. You know, the way he gets into the passing lanes, like the way he creates for teammates, you know, finding his role, you know, as, you know, playing center in these small ball lineups. Like, it's just really good to see not just like the fans embrace Larry Nance Jr., but to do it in a time where we're really starting to see the way that he can impact this team in, in such a positive manner. Yeah. I mean, we, we saw glimpses. We saw different moments where we thought, okay, maybe this is, this is what he is. But ultimately, there was a, a, a legitimate filling out process where he's trying to figure out what his role is on the team. The team is trying to figure out what his role is yeah. on the team. And you saw it come together the last couple of games. But really, um, against Chicago, was you're like, oh, He's a five. Like he's he's coming off the, he's coming off the bench. He is a, a backup five, and uh, he's been able to mix it up really well. And yeah, like it, it was it was what we knew that this fan base was going to fall in love with him. Like we knew that he is one of the guys that just based on when you first meet him. Like when we got to talk to him on media day, I was like, oh yeah, I'm like fans are going Portland is going to love this guy. And, you know, his personality, he's super engaging, he's authentic. So he had that going for him, and now it was, okay, let's see the basketball side of it. And now you got that total, the, the total package and what you were hoping to get out of a player that fits so many needs. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, hearing his, his quotes um, after that game was, was great, and, and even tweeting, you know, his, his reaction to, you know, because players can go one of two ways with – with moments like that, you kind of play it off, yeah. you know, whatever. Or, no, I didn't really hear it. Um, but he went out all in on it. You know, Larry Nance like, oh, yeah. You know, like I heard it. I noticed it. Of course I did. Uh, and so I thought that was super dope that he acknowledged that. And, you know, his quote saying, you know, I appreciate it more than they know. I genuinely do. And the, the fact that the fans recognize, you know, the heart and hustle of this team is just so awesome saying, you know, I can promise you they're going to get that from me every time I step on the floor. I really think that in this role, and we talked about this before the season after the Blazers made this trade, I think he has the ability to have the same kind of impact on Portland that Draymond Green has on Golden State. Um, They're very similar players. You know, the way he 
is able to create for others the way he's a playmaker on offense in in many of the same ways that Draymond Green does it in Golden State. The way he impacts the defense for the Blazers, the way he allows them to to switch on defense, um, the way he gets into the passing lanes. It's like the impact he has, the way he holds the leadership he shows out on the court. You know, he doesn't take crap from anyone. Mm-hmm. And it's noticeable. Yeah. Like, if you, if you go to a game uh, at Moda Center this year and he's on the court, you will see him. It's like, uh, I think I joked about this on the on the last pod, but it's like a quarterback being at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And he's, you know, barking commands. And I, the only thing I, I, I can recall missing the last time I've seen him out there was him yelling like Omaha, something <laughs> like that, man, because it's super noticeable. You yeah. see it out there. Yeah, and so, like, I tweeted during the second half that, Blazers need to play Larry Nance Jr. 48 minutes a night, <laughs> which they can't. But, like, it does – there is this interesting thing, this interesting dilemma is that his, he's not as impactful when he plays bar forward. You can't – you know, all this talk about lineup changes and, and start Larry Nance Jr., you can't start him at power forward. I, I don't think he's going to have the same impact on the game, especially on offense at power forward, as he will when he plays center. But yeah, I also don't think you can start him at center. I don't think you can start him over Yusuf Nurkic, and I'm, I'd like to get into that a little bit later. But I think what you did see in this game against Chicago is the really scary two-headed monster they can have at the center position with Yusuf Nurkic and Larry Nance Jr. When they're both performing at the top of their game, the way Nurkic came in in that fourth quarter when he came in and subbed in for Larry Nance mm-hmm. and played some of his best basketball of the season – Nurkic was awesome. And if they can both, I mean, Larry Nance Jr. is going to, whatever minutes he plays, whatever role he plays, he's going to be cool with it, and he's going to be a team player. If you can see that same thing, if you can get that same buy-in from Nurk, Mm -hmm. that he's going to be okay splitting those minutes with Larry Nance Jr., understanding that sometimes the matchup is not going to be right for him to finish the game, and they need to have Larry Nance Jr. there. If he can buy into that and be okay with that and know he's still going to get his 24, 25 minutes a game and be have those 25 minutes of be peak Nurkic, then that's really impactful for the Blazers because then they have 48 minutes all game long of outstanding play at the center position. But you have to have Nurk buy into that and not get in his feelings about I'm not playing as much as I want to. I'm not getting as many touches as I want to. You've got to have Nurk buy in. And you saw that in the Chicago game, I think. Yes. I think. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the rest of the season. He he took advantage of, of the mismatch that was there, especially in the fourth quarter, man. Yeah. Um, he went at Derek Jones Jr. Poor guy. <laughs> right. Uh, had to deal with uh, guarding Nurk, you know, in the post or in the paint. Um, but you know, he was setting great screens. Like you just got, you got almost beast like <laughs> Nurk, right. you know, like he, he really, he played so well in that game and, um, you're right though. This is more of a, a personality, uh, ego. Can you get Nurk to do that? But I do think this is, this is brilliant. If it, if it works, if the, if the matchups present themselves, because if you can keep Nurk at that minute range, the odds of you being able to get Nurk at the end of the year when you really yeah, need him right. is huge. So if if Nurk can buy in from even that standpoint of, look, big fella, like we're going to maximize you. And, and you saw that. like They fed him early. 
Yeah. Like they, right. You could tell it was let's get Nurk going. Yeah. Um, if if they can do that, if they can continue to find success in that route and knowing, okay, Nurk is engaged. He is all in right now. So if he has to go to the bench in the final two minutes or final minute of the game, um, he's cool with it. Right. Because he's still got his double-double. You know, he put up the numbers that he needs in his, you know, contract year. Um, and they're winning. Tough to argue with that. I think the winning is probably the key to Nurkic being okay with it. Mm-hmm. If they're winning, I think that he'll be on board. Mm-hmm. And so they, they've got to start winning, which they do really well at home. Right. And <laughs> now almost never do it on the road. <laughs> I do want to just give – I think that there's been a, an unfair amount of criticism of, of Nurkic, uh, especially on social media. Mm-hmm. I think he's having a good season. Mm-hmm. And I was just looking at the stats. Like He's averaging 11 points, 11 rebounds. Two assists, you know, 1.3 steals, you know, almost a little more than half of a block. But he's shooting 56% from the field, which is a career high for there his you career. Go. He's shooting, you know, he's a 49%, you know, from the field for his career, and he's shooting 56%. He's shooting 77% from the free throw line, career 67%. I think he's having a good season, and his real impact, as it has always been, is on defense. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, man, the metrics love Nurkic. Mm-hmm. If you look at defensive Raptor from 538, you look at the players who played 350 minutes or more, which is about you know 22 minutes per game up to this point in the season. He ranks number two in defensive Raptor behind Rudy Gobert. Mm. Number two in the entire NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the cleaning the glass, their on-off numbers. When Nurkic is on the court, the Blazers are giving up 14.7 fewer points per 100 possessions. And you look at, you compare that to some of the other guys that you think of as the premier defensive players in the NBA, Giannis's number is, you know, 16.2 fewer points. You know, again, Nurkic, 14.7. Gobert last season, you know, 12.7. You know, Embiid this season, and you've seen the way the 76ers have fallen off a cliff with Embiid, you know, not playing 8.9. So, like, that 14.7 number for Nurkic, you know, combine that with, and being number two in defensive Raptor, and he's having an incredible impact on defense for this team, which they need that, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, they're still a, a, a bad defensive team. You take Nurkic out of the equation, like how much worse would they be? Um, so I, I think that Nurkic deserves credit. I don't think the answer is to necessarily start Nance. Right. I don't think you should start at power forward, and I don't think you should replace Nurkic in the starting lineup with Nance. I think that what we saw in the Chicago game is hopefully what we can see from those two for the rest of the season. Oh, I, t- I totally agree. And I hope that discussion resonates with Nurk that they need him. That's That's been, you know, regardless of who the head coach has been, Nurkic is so important to this team's success because of the impact he has defensively. Yeah. And his availability is linked to the success of this team. Yeah. And so I agree. He is your, he is your starter. I, I'm, for me, that's not the discussion. <laughs> there, I think there will be a discussion, though, as, as the season continues on who your four is. Right. Um, I don't know if we're there yet, but, man, seeing closing time with, these, with this Blazers team and the way that – Chauncey Billups has been able to kind of go with the flow and figure out, okay, this gives me the right matchup. Because that has to be a tough decision even from a, all right, Nurk, you're coming out. 
Nance, you're in. Right. In a pivotal moment in the game, you know, where, where the game is in the balance. And so you're also seeing Nasir Little get those same type of opportunities. And I'm almost at the point where I need to deliver an apology on uh, my preseason predictions uh, with Nasir Little because I didn't think he would get this opportunity. Yeah. And a lot of credit goes to Little for seizing those moments that when he was out there, he's been impactful, even when the shot isn't falling. Right. In Chicago, against Chicago. Like his, his uh, you know, box was not good. One for seven from the field. Yeah, it wasn't good. But there's no doubt the impact that he has when he's out on the floor. Oh, yeah. And I think the biggest thing, you know, we know the value that, that Rocco has as a help defender. Mm-hmm. But right now, what the Blazers need, and we talked about this when I was talking about the, you know, where Portland whiffed by letting Nick Batum go. They need a point of attack defender who can guard wings mm-hmm. and the big, powerful wings. And Rocco can't do that. You, you know, Listen, Rocco's awesome in, in help defense, but if you line him up as a one-on-one defender against Paul George or... Right, see Paul George. Right. <laughs> How did that <laughs> exactly. go? Yeah. Any of those big wings that, that have given the Blazers, you know, headaches for years, you see, I mean, Rocco gets beat. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. But with Nas, what you're starting to see is that he can perhaps be that point of attack defender against big wings. Mm-hmm. And you saw it in the Chicago game. Yes. You no, know, he stood up DeMar DeRozan, who just cooked the Blazers in the first half. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if there is going to be a change in the starting lineup, I think that that is where it might happen, is at some point Nas might start over Rocco. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then, again, you wonder, are you going to lose – Covington, mm-hmm. if that happens, or can he be an impactful defender off the bench? Can he, you know, embrace that new role? And we're not there yet. That you know, Billups hasn't made that kind of decision, but you do see. I mean, Nas just has a great impact when he's on the court, regardless of whether he's hitting shots or not. And what I love to see from him is that you've seen all the reporting about how Billups said what he wanted to see from Nas was he plays harder than anyone else on the court. Right. And he's doing that every single night. You never see anything less than 100% from, from Nasir Little. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the de- the development of Nasir Little and Anthony Simons is a big storyline early in this season. They are, in my mind, exceeding most people's expectations for the impact they can have on this team. Yes. And that's huge because – if the Blazers are going to, you know, take the next step forward, they do need some of these young guys to hit mm-hmm. and to have more of an impact than maybe you might anticipate. And right now, we are seeing that from both of those guys. We're waiting for the starters to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the starting lineup as a unit. Um, Norman Powell's been great. He's been, a, yeah. He has been the man. Uh, he's hit big shots. Um He's been willing to lead the charge when things have gotten stagnant. He's been a lot of fun to watch, and he's he's earning that paycheck for sure. Yeah, if you look at the starting lineup, and there was so much talk, you know, we know what the metrics showed with that lineup last season after after uh, Powell came here, and they were they were so good. This season, that their net rating is just plus one point two, which is not where it needs to be if the, if this team's going to thrive. They need to be better. That starting lineup, 
Their defensive rating is 107, which is fine. That's not too bad, but their offense has just not been there. The starting lineup, you know, offensive rating of 108, you know, it's that just has to be better. And, you know, obviously Dame, you hope that he's, you know, going to kind of work his way back. CJ needs to be better. CJ started off the season pretty well, but has really uh, not been playing well lately. Uh, Norman Powell has been great. Rocco needs to be much better. And I think Nurk has been fine, but um, they – yeah, the, the the starting lineup hasn't been as good as it needs to be. Hey, talk about a, a total flip-flop and change in narrative Yeah, from a, a year ago. Yeah. Where the things you thought were locks are the things that have, you know, kinks that they're trying to work out. And I still, I, I mean, I really, I like the, the starting lineup. I do, even though, you know, you got small guys, yeah. you know, it, it, that's, that's, those are the ingredients that Chauncey has to cook with. But, um. You know, I've I've liked what I've seen, and and I've just been really impressed, obviously with the young guys. But Powell has brought it, man, um, and I really kept that starting lineup afloat. I mean, CJ had arguably his one of his worst halves of basketball yeah. as right. a pro. Yeah, I mean, they couldn't buy a bucket, and him him and Dame collectively going one for ten in the first half. Like, you should be down twenty. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> that. That's where that's where the offense is generated from. So uh, to be able to to keep them afloat and obviously the play of Nurk, that is huge because that's what we've been asking for for so long has been Dame needs help, and he's getting some help. Yeah, he and, needs more help. Yeah, and he needs more of it, or he needs to be a little bit better. Yeah, you know uh, that would help also. But you know, eight and eight at this point, um, now we're seeing a little bit more of the positive momentum. Now it's can, well, it can, feels like that, and it has felt like that throughout the season. Yes, when they've been at home, mm-hmm. when they're playing at home, it feels great. You beat me to the segue, Jared. That's yeah. where I was going, man. At home, they rank first in offensive rating, tenth mm-hmm. in defensive rating, and second in net rating. And they've only lost one time all season at home. They they are a great basketball team at home, and on the road, I don't understand how. This could be the same team. <laughs> it's like night and day. 17th in offensive rating, 30th dead last in defensive rating, mm-hmm. 25th in net rating. They're terrible on the road. And I don't know. I mean. They get lit up, man. There's no answer for it. I don't understand. I, I, I tried to look. Like, well, have they played, you know, a tougher schedule on the road? They haven't. Mm-hmm. Their, their road schedule has actually been a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So there's no rhyme or reason for why it's happening. I mean, you saw the effort level in a couple of the road games just. They're bad. Should never yep. look like that. But again, I, I mean, something has to change there. This team should not be one of the best teams in the NBA at home and one of the worst teams in the NBA on the road. Not a veteran team like this. That makes mm. no sense at all. What you're hoping for is that when things even out, you're not seeing s- such a drastic regression on, at home. Right. Um, you're hoping that the the away team catches up a little bit with the home team where you're you know, splitting because they've become even, you know, two weeks into our predictions that we do for these games, super predictable right. in terms of just how crappy they're going to be when they leave Moda Center. Um, and, you know, the players have been asked about this multiple times. Coach has been asked about it multiple times. And um, it's it's really cheesy because, you know, you're really looking for substance. Yeah. And what it comes down to with their answers is always a level of comfort that, uh, you know, sleeping in your own bed, being in your own routine, knowing where you're at, 
hearing the crowd chant your name, like things like that. And it shouldn't be that way, but those are the answers that, that we're getting at that they, at this uh, point. They have no good answers. Yeah. Like that's not a good answer. Yeah. That's maybe a good answer if you're this good at home and 500 on the road, mm -hmm. but not to have these kind of splits. Where it's that drastic. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're telling me is you don't have an answer. <laughs> if, 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 the, if the team doesn't have an answer, there's no way we can have an answer. Right now, on the this. only answer I have is that they're really good at home and really bad on the road. <laughs> Until that changes, that's the only answer I have. <laughs> and so that probably dictates how we're going to pick some of our, our games. And, you know, they now take on the Philadelphia 76ers on Saturday and then the Denver Nuggets on Tuesday, both of those games are at the Motor Center. Yep. So how do you think those two games play out, Jared? Uh, I don't think Embiid is supposed to play Saturday. Um, we'll see if that changes. I think without Embiid, the, the Sixers are, are they're scuffling right now. So I think that the Blazers win that game, especially because they're at home. The Denver game is going to be super interesting because the Denver game was the worst game of the season for the Blazers. Just got waxed on the road. Yeah, they got punked. Terrible effort level. Um, and Denver, you know, they made the Blazers look stupid in the playoffs last season too. Um, I don't know. I I guess maybe because the Blazers have been so good at home, I'm, I'm going to pick them to – and when you get beat that bad against a team, you want to show something better the next time around when you play them and having – those games not too far apart. I think the Blazers will bounce back and win that game against Denver too. I mean, I, it's hard to pick against them at home right now. They're really good at home. Like the Bulls win. The Bulls are a really, really good team. Yeah, they're legit. Yeah, they're very good, and and so that was an excellent win. So I think I'd pick the Blazers to win both of those games. It has the same vibe as the uh, Clippers. You know, right. talking right. talking about the Nuggets, yeah. where you know they went to L.A., got waxed, came back home, and got a win um, over the Clippers. And you're probably going to see that same type of performance. Now, the Nuggets could come in and steal one. Sure. You know, I sure. mean, I wouldn't. I mean, it's Jokic. Yeah. You know, so that's not a gimme, but just based on behavior, <laughs> um, I think you've got to go. You know, two and zero, which is interesting. If you pile on the last two wins, th that's a four-game win streak, heading back on the road. Yeah, you're going to feel. Really, really good. <laughs> You're going to feel really good, Rip City. Like and have zero confidence. <laughs> yeah, like the, the Blazers are going to have a winning record. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, let's see how <laughs> beyond the, the off-court stuff, I think the on-court stuff is, is, ha has some interest as well. And, you know, the next time we talk, like – Is that first road game of that trip, is it the Kings? Yep, Sacramento see, Wednesday. That, that gives the Blazers a chance mm -hmm. to – if they can win these next two games at home – to build off of that, playing a team that even on the road they should beat. Mm -hmm. And maybe, like, you know, get that monkey off your back and just know that, like, okay, we can win on the road and maybe start to turn that around a little bit. Because then after that they get the Warriors and the Jazz. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, games like that you just – you pick – even if the Blazers are playing well on the road, I'm still picking them to lose those games. Mm -hmm. Because those teams are awesome yeah. and it's on the road. But uh, if they can, you know, if, if in those in these next five games, you're going to learn a lot about this team. If they can come out of this three and two, even if they lose to the Warriors and the Jazz on the road, you know, that's OK. Like as long as they're not going out on the road and just not putting forth effort and just getting blown out, 
if they are competitive in those games, even if they lose them, if they can win these next three games, you're going to feel like, okay, the Blazers are are in decent shape. And I will say this past week was kind of the first time where I felt like I'm understanding what they're trying to do and um, what they have and, and roles, yeah. how guys fit in. Um, we're starting to get some of the details on this team. And I'm really starting to, as a fan, trust Chauncey Billups' ability to make in-game adjustments and pick the lineups that, that need to be out there on the court. I like he's that. He's starting to show that pretty well. And so it'll be interesting to see how that continues. Um, man, if you can have a coach who can really be a master at in-game adjustments, that's that's a huge step up <laughs> for this team. The That's instincts. Yeah. And just being able to read the room and the right. flow of the game. Like, I don't know if that's – I guess after, you know, years of experience you figure it out. But that's a really hard intangible yeah. to just acquire – and he's clearly got it, and obviously that comes with being a point guard and right. being a really good player and understanding when guys need uh, touches, right. when when to run certain offenses. And, you know, obviously his support system and coaching staff has been, you know, they've complemented each other in those moments because you saw it the last couple of games um, and being able to, to make adjustments um, and not being afraid to do it or right. believe in some of your younger guys. Um, with the game on the line because you know those those moments could go either way is if uh, L- uh, Levine can knock down that three and this could be a, a different discussion they're going right. to overtime or whatever right so uh, yeah I mean it, it takes some guts to do that and to believe in what your instincts are yeah uh, so that's been really fun and the more he pushes up those buttons and has positive results the the better and better he's going to be at it um, and to do it without worrying about the egos that mm-hmm. he might be bruising along the way and also seeming to have this ability to pull those players in who might be upset in the moment and keep them on board. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing in, in, in that regard from this coach. Cause that's how you earn trust. Right. And if he can present the results to his players that are disgruntled or not happy because they believe they should be getting more minutes. That's how you do it. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a fun thing to follow. And I only bring that up because we're at 16 games. Right. And I usually don't like t- – I, I like to get to the 20 to 25 range. Yeah, same. Where, where we're saying, okay, this is what this team is. And I think we took a big step this past week in figuring out, all right – it's not complete chaos the way the first couple of weeks were, where it was like, mm, I mean, the numbers support this, or <laughs> this is what we saw, and here's where we're at. So I yeah, think the I mean, the only caveat being, can they take this on the road? Right. Because it all it all season, it's it's felt just fine in the middle of these home stands, and then they get out on the road and everything falls apart. Right. So. <laughs> I mean, if you're not winning on the road, you're not a good team. Right. Exactly. And and maybe that's who they are in 25 games, as we say. They're just a crappy road team, and this isn't going to change. Yeah. Then we can say, all right, uh, this is probably an eight seed or you know, a, a 500 team that gets to the play-in, and right. maybe Dame has a spectacular you know showing, but <laughs> that's that's where we'll be, maybe. Yeah. Um, but I just thought they took the next step in that and figuring out who this team is. 
Um, but dude, we did a buck, a buck eleven hey, today. Uh, it was you guys good got stuff. Your money's worth today. Yeah, yeah, it was good stuff. So. Thank you to everyone for riding with us on this podcast. We appreciate you so much. Let everybody know about it. Continue to support it. It means the world to us. Thank you again. Jared, this was a, a good podcast. And um, let's do it again as we head into, you know, the holiday season, man. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. So nice work today, man. Thank you. You too.